Great, well it's uh, really good to see you. I hope you had a really nice Christmas and will have a really good New Year. Um, hopefully I will too. So there we are, all my two's done. Um, let's pray and then let's uh, see what we can find out from Romans 8. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that it is uh, just great. Father, we thank you that it teaches all that we need to know about you, all we need to know about us, all we need to know about who Jesus is, what he did and what he did to make it possible for us to know you through him by the power of your spirit. Father, we pray today that you would help us to uh, learn more about him, that you would make us want to become more like him, and that you would um, yeah, show us all just really how great Jesus is. Father, we ask these things uh, in and through his good name. Amen. I haven't got a really nice PowerPoint for you today, so you'll just have to imagine it in your head. I'll tell you what I would have put on it had I made one. Um, so currently there would be nothing there. I made that slide. <laughs> That's the only one I've done. So, um, yeah, as you may have guessed, we read from Romans. So we're taking a week out of our series in the book of Acts on Mission Unstoppable um, because when Ian prepped for last, the last one, the last week, the last, that was when it was, wasn't it, last week, the last one that he did, he, um, he read through the passage and then he basically phoned me up and said, I've written about three sermons on this chapter, so, um, because I've done all the prep, and he wasn't going to be here today, just take a week out, and he'll do those, so he's done all the prep, so he thought it was silly that I did all the reading as well, so Ian's very excited about continuing in Acts chapter 5 next week, so we're taking a week out, and we're looking at something a little bit different. Also, uh, last year, about this time, we took a couple of weeks out of our sermon series to look at um, two kind of one-offs with the same, similar title, and it was... Jesus came to bring dot, dot, dot. And last year we looked at Jesus came to bring adoption and justification. They were the two we looked at this kind of time last year. Um, we're looking at something else today, and unfortunately it isn't a big word that ends in shun. Um, but if it was, that would be really good, and the kind of theme would roll on nicely. But I also think that what I'm going to share with you today, the topic that we're going to look at, is something that I feel like God has been kind of putting on my heart to share with you um, and I think it's just a really crucial part of the Christian life. But it's also really easy to miss out on. Um, and I think if we miss out on it, we lose an awful lot. And I think if we miss out on it, we can become ineffective. Or we may do things in a Christian life for the wrong motives. And what we're going to talk about today is not always a very popular idea. But I honestly believe it's central to the gospel of Jesus. And the life that he wants us to live in Christian family. And also, if we can start to teach ourselves the idea as we go around our normal life, we'll be better equipped to enjoy and serve Jesus in his world. So, what is the word? So this today, it would then say, Jesus came to bring dot, 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 assurance. So that's what we're going to look at today. So we read from Romans 8, and we're going to look at this idea of Jesus came to bring assurance. And... I don't really think that it's a massive deviation from the topic of mission that we're looking at in Acts um, because I think that assurance really is kind of the starting point and the end point of mission. The assurance that Jesus brings is experienced by Christians and it should be enjoyed to the point that we want to share that experience and expose other people to that experience as well. However, let me say that I think there are two ways you can look at assurance. And uh, there's the good way, 
and the bad way. If you're being polite, you could maybe say the helpful and the unhelpful way. However, we're going to call them the terrible and the terrific um, because I think they're kind of more on those scales. So one of them is terrible and one of them is stupendously terrific. Um, And they both begin with T, not stupendous, but terrible and terrific. So that's what we'll look at. So let's kind of start by trying to outline what we mean and see how they lead to empower us or sap our desire for mission as God's people. Hopefully some of that will all come together. You'll understand some of what I'm talking about and you'll feel more encouraged to be on mission with Jesus uh, and doing that as part of the church family. However, the question that is then built up, hopefully in your minds, is what is assurance? Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. But if it has, that is the question we're going to answer first. So we've got to work out what it is so then we can work out how to apply it. Um, And this is how I'm going to define assurance. There'll be other definitions out there. And it's a mildly long definition, so please, like, hang on to your seats and go with me. Um, And there are some long words in there. And then I've got a simplified definition for uh, normal people. Um, So here's my definition. Assurance is the subjective understanding and experience of the objective truth of the gospel of Jesus. So we believe that when we become a Christian, nothing in heaven or earth can change that fact. That we're definitely saved now, that we're definitely continually being saved, being made more like Jesus, and that we will definitely be saved one day when Jesus comes again. That is my simple definition of assurance. So, more simply, assurance is being totally convinced Jesus is good enough and powerful enough to save you and he's not going to change his mind about that at any point. So hopefully some of that makes sense. A couple of people are nodding, so I'm going to assume that everybody is on the same page as them and that they are on the same page as me um, because then that just makes everything a lot easier. So now, for a moment, it's going to be your turn so I can kind of gather my thoughts and see if that really does make sense. So I'm going to ask you this question and just turn to the people next to you or nearby and think about this question and come up with a couple of answers. And this is the question. If you're a Christian, or if you're not, you can probably come up with some answers for this as well. What things are there that happen in our lives that sometimes make us doubt that we are really Christians? What things you know, sometimes prey on our minds thinking, am I really a Christian or... I'm struggling because of whatever it is. What kind of things are there? I've got a short list that I'll share with you after you've had a chance to chat. Um, So yeah, have a little chat to the people next to you. Don't be afraid of them. If you don't know them, introduce yourselves. Um, So have a go. See what you think. What things make us doubt that Jesus has really saved us?
Okay, shall we see what ideas there are out there? Somebody be brave and shout one out for us. When you sin, yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Any other ideas? Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully today might be very useful. Hopefully. Any other ideas? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. When you experience suffering, yeah. When you have doubts about the whole gospel and the Bible and everything from what you've been told to Yeah. Yeah, very good. Okay, I'll, I'll give you my list. This might tally with some of those. Some of them are exactly the same. Uh, so my list is, yeah, so I may kind of doubt things when I sin, when I don't feel like I'm close to God, if I'm struggling to pray, and some of those things will go together. And then when I feel or say or think uh, bad or hurtful things about other people, those, those are the kind of things that can sometimes uh, play on my mind. And this is a rhetorical question, but um, you know, does that list make you think maybe I should quit my job? Rhetorical question. So um, no need to answer. Okay. But yeah, so hopefully we'll come across some of those and kind of work through them a little bit as we go through. So, I want to ask this question next. Who is assurance for? I think because of what assurance is, and we said it is, believing that Jesus is good enough and strong enough to save you, um, and if he has saved you, that he definitely will, and he won't change his mind about that. Assurance is something that Jesus has brought about for Christians. Because it's something that is brought about by belief in Jesus, repentance of sin, faith in God the Father, and it's brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. However, I do believe if you're not a Christian, you can still experience assurance, but only by becoming a Christian. Um, And the power of assurance is the power of the gospel. And in a nutshell, and this next bit is going to be very key to how we kind of work through uh, understanding it, I think, a little bit. Christianity, in a nutshell, is what we call the gospel. And the gospel teaches that God is good that God is love, that he is a trinity, he's a community who's always been there, who's always been loving, who's never been lonely. That God made man, people like you and me, in his own image, and they were made to love and enjoy God forever in relationship with him. However, we know the story. In Genesis 3, man rejects God's good rule. He decides to substitute that for his own rule. And then, because of that, man finds himself in a place of rejection of God and a place of shame and of isolation. So when you read the Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin against God, they reject him. They find themselves in isolation. They run and they hide from God. God says, where are you? And they go, we're not here. Um, they run and they hide. But they also find themselves in a place of shame and isolation from each other because they cover themselves up with fig leaves. They don't want to be known by each other because of the, the, the sin that is now there. They don't trust the people that they once dearly loved. Eventually, a long time later in the Bible story, Jesus comes on the scene. This is the God-man. This is God become man. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He takes on human flesh and blood like you and me. 
He lives a life of perfect obedience to God his Father and he enjoys him continually. In that Jesus lives the life that Adam should have lived in the first place, but he didn't. He also lives a life that we should live, but we don't. However, Jesus' obedience led him to the cross where he willingly gave up his life, he gave up his position, he gave up his innocence, his right to free speech, and he took on all our guilt, our rejection of God, our shame, our deserved punishment and exclusion from God. And what he does is what I think John Calvin calls the great exchange. I don't know if you've heard of the Tesco club card great exchange when you get something like three or four times the value of your club card points. And, you know, that is tremendous, you know, really good. However, the great exchange that John Calvin talked about, who's an old theologian, is even better than that. And it really is. He says that at the cross, what Jesus does is he swaps some of those things. The greatest exchange there is. He swaps his life for our death and rejection of God. He swaps his innocence for our guilt. He swaps his inclusion for our exclusion. He swaps his position in perfect relationship with God for our shame and our desire to hide ourselves. Jesus dies, taking on the punishment for death and sin. God raises him back to life from the grave for our salvation. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. And as we've looked at, look at the end of Luke and at the beginning of Acts to see uh, the ascension there. And then Jesus and God the Father from heaven send the Holy Spirit into the world to take people from death to life spiritually and unite them with Jesus and empower them for the continued mission of Jesus in this world. And that's the stuff that we're looking at uh, kind of week by week in the series in Acts. If you find yourself in that story, in kind of God's big picture, God's big story, believing in Jesus, turning from your rejection of God, in faith to God, you're a Christian. And if you don't, then I would encourage you to repent of your sin, repent of your rejection of God, Turn in faith to Jesus. Accept Jesus' life and reject the death that you've earned by rejecting God. If you find yourself in the story of God's big picture of the gospel, then assurance is for you. So, here are the two types of assurance I was talking about. Terrible and tremendous. So let's see if we can uh, clarify these and then I want to show you hopefully how they work out in the lives of Christians. So the first, let's firstly look at terrible assurance. Because uh, if we start off bad, we can work our way to the good, and that's, we'll end joyfully, hopefully, on that. So, <clears throat> terrible assurance is when the truth of the gospel and the power of the Spirit help us to know Jesus forever, and that's what they should do, but actually, they get twisted, and instead of producing joy of God, They produce no passion or zeal for mission. We're not excited about what Jesus is planning for his world. And I think this happens when people mix up the truth of the gospel, which is that God started and finished all the work of salvation, that the story that the gospel belongs to God, and it is God who saves people through Jesus. They get that mixed up to the point where they think, well, it belongs to God, it's all his He does all the work, so I don't have to get involved at all. 
I'll let God do the work of saving me and I'll sit down and let him carry on with it, but I'll just sit down and do nothing. Some people may call that, have joked about that as being the chosen frozen. Uh, you know, they're people who God has saved and he's saved them so they think he's done a great work in saving me. I'm, I've become a Christian. It's absolutely amazing. I'll just sit down and do nothing because God started it, God finishes it, and that's it. They think, he'll get on with it. I don't have to be bothered to do anything. Do you see that? If assurance is, is God's plan will happen because he promised it, I'll just get out of the way and let him do it. I'll not bother doing anything. I think that's terrible assurance because God's done all these great and amazing things through Jesus to save people so they can love and enjoy him forever. If we think God's done all this great stuff so I can sit down and do nothing, there's no building of relationship. There's no enjoying God if we think I'll just sit down and do nothing and let God get on with it somewhere over there. God saves people through Jesus so that they can love and enjoy him forever. There's no motivation to get to know God better if we just sit down and let him get on with it. I think that's terrible. People have kind of preached that in history. Probably some people would do the same today. And I think it's just an awful view to think God has saved me, so I'll sit down and let him get on with it. So let's change, tra- 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 let's change track and look at tremendous assurance. After, when I was reading through this this morning, I thought, actually, instead of picking the song I did for the end, we probably should have picked Blessed Assurance. Never mind. And so, tremendous assurance. This, I think, is really, really great stuff. And I'm a little bit worried that I'll not quite do it justice. Um, so please bear with me. And hopefully you'll get where I'm going. So Ian read to us from the book of Romans. And I think in the book of Romans, at this point, Paul is writing it, really lays it on thick to his readers. He wants them to be encouraged and he wants them to be empowered to live wildly different lives in a hostile world where persecution may come if they live as Christians, where dangers may be real and present for the church where shame and hunger may be real threats for those who become Christians. For those people, Paul writes these verses. So if you read with me from verse 28, he says, for we know, uh, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who is, uh, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or the danger of sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When you read through that, can you kind of see what Paul is wanting his readers to grasp and to live by? Can you see how he's trying to encourage them? Can you see uh, the truths that he's using to bolster their confidence in Jesus? I think he's saying to them, because you're humans living, there are kind of subjective realities that can change that you'll experience every single day of your life. Some are good, some are bad, some are terrifying, some are scary, uh, some that genuinely come with threats. But then it feels like, as you read through, there's super bold print type, uh, like shouting out the page. And Paul is saying to these Christians that he's writing to, he says, look, God's power, God's love, God's gospel, Jesus, is so much more than all these scary things. That means whatever comes in life, if it's good or bad, God is more abundantly able to keep you and love you and work out his promises to you than you will ever, ever know. He says, God is much better than all the things that you will see. All these things around you may change, but one thing will never change. That is the love of God for you in Jesus. Does that make sense? So if you're a Christian, subjective things can and will change all around you. But the objective truth of how God feels about you will never change. Our salvation is something that will never change. The truth of Jesus' goodness will never change. The truth of God's word will never change. I think that these words should be really encouraging and should empower us, really. These words should make us see that we're on the winning side. For the Christian, death is already defeated in Jesus. Love has already won in Jesus. A mission is something to be relished with Jesus. Living out our lives as a church family is something that Jesus makes possible. He even makes it enjoyable and he makes it exciting. Even though people can be really irritating at times, Jesus makes a church family enjoyable and exciting. However, I think that tremendous assurance is not an end point in itself. When I was thinking about it, the way I kind of thought about it was assurance is like the starting blocks and the running track for mission. Because it's where you start and it's an amazing place to start because the start of it is the truth that we tell each other and we tell ourselves. And then when we run around the running track of mission, sharing the gospel with other people, we never leave it behind. We're always enjoying the assurance that God has to offer. Understanding assurance enables us to become more like Jesus by God's spirit working in us. It makes the church family closer. It encourages us to share the gospel because when we live in the light of Jesus' assurance, it's the greatest place to be. And when you find something amazing, you want to share that with others. So, just as we finish, I want to... I was just checking it was actually just where we finished rather than I just put it in to give you some hope. Um, Now I've lost my place. There we go. I want to give you three top tips of how assurance can play out in your life and in the life of the church for your encouragement. Um, and hopefully that will make sense. And I want to, I kind of want assurance to be the heartbeat of the church family. It's not that I want us to move from the gospel to assurance, but it's that the gospel should well up in us 
that it produces assurance that Jesus is so good. And also let me say that assurance isn't just super positivity or kind of hyper-optimism because those things can change if you've had a bad day or you know, somebody's popped the tyre on your car or you've been punched in the face. Those things can be dampened, whereas assurance of Jesus' goodness never will, no matter what's going on. However, sometimes we can not quite feel like that. So top tip number one, and I have given you this top tip before, um, but I think it works again pretty much in all situations. So I'm going to give you it again now. It is, I want to encourage you, if you're a Christian and you're struggling and you're doubting something, top tip number one is gospel your own heart. I've said it before and I'll kind of remind you what I mean. So if you can remember the list of things we had at the beginning, kind of when I sin, when I do or say or think something wrong or if I'm struggling to pray or if I feel like God's a long way away. Whenever one of those ideas crops up in your mind, learn to tell yourself the gospel. So I thought what we might do very briefly is, I don't know if you remember when you were at school, for some of you that was only a couple of years ago, for some of you it was a, um, anyway, you had to occasionally do, I don't know, I don't know actually, (laughs) I don't know if it was the same for you, but we had to do worked examples in maths. So if you did all the working but got the answer wrong, you still got some marks? Don't know why. But it, so I'm going to do a worked example of you for what I mean for this. So gospeling your own heart, how does that work? This is my worked example. So how would I gospel my own heart if I'm feeling far away from God? So I think, what is it that the gospel story tells me? It tells me that I was far away from God, that Jesus has gone to that place of rejection from God so that I could be brought right into the middle of who God is. Jesus died to take away my sin and separate it from me as far as the east is from the west. My sin is gone in Jesus. Jesus rose again, conquering death, and he ascended into heaven, and he's at the right hand of God the Father. And when I became a Christian, by the power of God's Spirit, he unites me to Jesus. By the Spirit, I'm united to Jesus. So that means... However I'm feeling, even if I'm feeling a million miles away from God, I'm not because Jesus has stood before the Father and I'm united to him and he's never going to move away from the Father. So even if I'm feeling far away from God, the truth is that I'm united to Jesus and Jesus has stood right before the Father who is in heaven. And that should hopefully encourage me to think, even though I'm feeling like I'm not there, I know the truth is that I am. And that should gradually encourage me and help me to not doubt and to think actually, you know what, the gospel is the most amazing thing that there is. Does that make sense? I think if you can learn to to gospel your own heart, you're allowing the assurance of God to play its part in your life. You may still feel distant from God at times, but, but you'll be teaching yourself that the subjective feelings are not the reality. The real truth is that Jesus is stood before the Father and we're united to him. And I think that the more you do it, the more you practice it, the better you, you get at it and the different parts of the story you can jump into uh, quicker and easier. So that was top tip number one. That's two. We're coming on to two. That was a preemptive two. Um, so that was number one. Gospel your own heart. Number two, if you find it hard to do that, and that's very understandable, top tip number two is ask somebody else to do it for you. Pick up the phone to somebody in the church family 
and say to them, look, I'm struggling with whatever it is. Maybe you've done something wrong, you think, oh, I've done that wrong again, and I just don't know what to do. Maybe you've given in to temptation, or maybe you're feeling like you, you might give in to temptation, or maybe you're struggling to pray, or whatever it is. Our church family is here to support each other for that reason. Pick up the phone and ring them up and say, look, can you help me? We, live in a, 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 we hope to live in a church community where our, our struggles can be shared and we can share each other's burdens. So don't try to hide your, your struggles and your burdens from each other and put them in a box where you think they'll be dealt with because they won't. They'll not go away if you leave them alone. Ask your church family to help you. So if somebody phoned me up and said, look, I've, I've given in to some sin or I'm, I'm worried that God won't forgive me, like what could I say? And I was thinking about this and I thought, you could say to them, remember the truth of the gospel, which is that Jesus came and died because we aren't good enough. We've, we've all fallen short of God's glory. When we start to think, I've done this thing wrong or that thing wrong, we're starting to think, I can earn God's merit. I can earn God's favour. I can earn my own salvation. Whereas it's not true. None of us could do that. If we start to think my own Christian achievement means that God will love me. However, that's just not true. We're forgetting that we don't have any Christian achievement. Jesus has all the achievement. Jesus lived a perfect life and he gave it to you so that you could know God. He forgives all your sin and you get his position, not yours. Jesus' position with God is the same as your position with him because you're in Jesus. So hopefully that makes sense to you. That's how you could share it with somebody else. So that was top tip number one, followed by number two, and this is top tip number three. Three. Um, Which is, share the gospel story with other people. Use it just to encourage other Christians, or use it, uh, yeah, tell people how the gospel story has encouraged you during the week. Say I was kind of hurting over this or that and I told myself the gospel story and I realised that Jesus loves me more than I could possibly ever know. know, It just warmed my heart. It was just an amazing feeling. At that moment when I thought things couldn't get any worse I realised actually things couldn't be any better. Jesus loves me. My position with him is safe and secure. And also share it with people who aren't Christians. If you meet a non-Christian who kind of hates their job tell them that you've realised that that you used to hate your job, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you did. If you did, you can tell them that. Um, but that the gospel has given your job new life. The fact is that Jesus has saved you to be a person who is active in his world, to provide for your family, and you really enjoy that by going to work. Um, you want to be the person who God wants you to be, and that enables you to enjoy your job because you're becoming the person that God created you to be. Hopefully some of that has been encouraging. Hopefully some of that... Uh, will equip you to be able to live a life of excitement and encouragement for yourself and for other people in the church family. And hopefully all of those things will help you to worship God that little bit more. So I want to encourage you to gospel your own heart, help other people, or ask for help when you're struggling, and share with other people times when the gospel has really encouraged you through the week. And if you're not a Christian here today, I would encourage you to meet Jesus so that those three things can be true for you in the rest of your life. So we'll pray, and then I'll hand over to Joan, who's going to play for his final song, and then Nick will give you our notice.
Father, we thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Father, we thank you that Jesus has done all the, all the work in pleasing you. He's done all the, the work in um, being obedient to you perfectly. Father, I thank you that it is that gospel that can save us. Father, I thank you that that is something that will never change, that Jesus is good and perfect and lovely in your sight. Father, I thank you that he is able to save. By your spirit, you are able to, to take people from death to life, from not knowing you to being in perfect relationship with you. And Father, I pray that you would encourage us uh, to gospel our own hearts, teach ourselves the story of God. Father, I pray you'd help us to share the story of God with other people when they're struggling. And I pray that you would help us to encourage each other just regularly of how the gospel has made us um, realise how fortunate we are, that we are people who know and love you. Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the simplicity of it and the amazing truth of it. And Father, I pray that you would um, do a great work in our lives by the power of the gospel, by the truth of your word and by the power of the spirit. And Father, I pray that that would spill out into the the life of this town and this community and our own lives. Father, I thank you for Jesus and all that he's done. And yeah, I thank you for, um, for the greatness of the gospel. Father, I pray that would well up inside us. And Father, I pray you'd help us to worship you in all that we do, wherever we are. Father, we thank you for these things through and by Jesus' name. Amen.